Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. I've not been up here for about nine weeks, um, so it's great to be here. And what's really encouraging is when you're not uh, speaking to see just how well everyone else who's been up here is speaking. It's a real testament, I think, to the team who've been preaching. I've seen the development in them as, as different people bringing the word up here. So it'd be great if we gave them an applause for how, how standing up, being brave, sharing what God's doing. And just to see that growth that God is doing in us that flows out in examples like when people are up here preaching. So great to have all them speaking, but great for to be back personally uh, speaking in the pulpit this morning. Um, but one of the reasons I've not been up here is I've been traveling after a long period of not traveling anywhere, like barely leaving my local area for two and a half years during the lockdown. I had an opportunity to go to different places, different places in Australia, went to the UK, different cities in New Zealand, and get out and about and speak to primarily leaders and speaking to hundreds, actually probably the thousands of different leaders in giving talks, Q&As, and just hearing the sense of how the church is emerging in this time after this period of, of lockdown and pandemic and different things that we've been going through. And just to see some of the common themes, which I think is really helpful for us to touch base with. I think often when you are experiencing something, you just see it around you. But one of the really common things I heard everywhere is just the sense of disruption and disconnection that people feel everywhere. And I think this is particularly acute um, you know, for us at the moment, if you're new and you're coming along, there's, I, there's lots of new people, but sometimes it's a bit difficult because you may meet someone one week and you talk to them after the service and then you see if they're there and they're not there. We've met people who have basically been trying to come to Red since April and have not gotten here because of just one illness after another illness. It's like not only are we dealing with COVID flying around, it's like the quarantine and pandemic has meant that every illness known to humanity has resurfaced at this time and is flying around us. Conjunctivitis, gastro, colds and flus, it's everywhere. So that's been, you know, this sort of disrupted season that I think we've been in. But it was interesting, of all the talks I did, the last talk I did was in Christchurch in New Zealand. And I noticed in Christchurch, New Zealand, that the way that they were talking about what everyone was going through was just a slightly bit different. That what they saw was that they were going through this pandemic and the disruption and church leaders, how you do with the pandemic and the disruption, but they saw that as a continu continuity of actually what they'd experienced years earlier when there'd been the Christchurch earthquake. The Christchurch earthquake was something which quite significantly disrupted churches. A lot of the spires and steeples of churches and church buildings, some of which were older, were badly damaged by the earthquake. And this meant that churches couldn't meet together. Lots of churches became homeless. People left the city. Huge disruption. The Christchurch Cathedral, which is like an, a bit of a landmark, you know, really suffered in, in the earthquake. There's a temporary cathedral still all this time later. And listening to them, something just dawned on me which I'd not thought of. It was like a reframing of this moment. 
First of all, I sort of said, you know, how long did it sort of take for churches to recover? And they said it was like almost a five-year period. And someone somewhere in those conversations said something like, you know, we had the natural disaster of the earthquake in Christchurch, and now we've got the natural disaster of the pandemic. And I was like, oh, I've never thought of it as a natural disaster. I thought of it as this thing which happened and at some point would snap back to normality. And they're like, no, when you go through an earthquake, what we learned is it takes some time to actually rebuild after that. It doesn't just happen. Things don't snap back. You've got to rebuild community functions. You've got to rebuild institutions. You've got to rebuild buildings. All of this stuff happens. And so they were thinking about this in a very different way. Now, early on, when the pandemic first hit, I had this line which I came up with, which I, which I thought I'll try in them. The line was, I said to people, how to think about the pandemic is it's not going to be an event, it's going to be a process. So I thought, this is what I'm hearing in Christchurch, so I thought I'll give that line. Now, as a speaker, there's moments when you give a line and you realize it resonates because there's this deep, mmm. Now, I'd given that line before. The pandemic's going to be an event. It's, it's, sorry, it's not going to be an event, it's going to be a process. And people are like, oh. Hadn't thought of that. Oh, that's sort of the response I got. I said that in Christchurch, and you got this, ah, mm, yes. And people saying, like, we've lived through that with the earthquake, and I also had the mosque shooting, and you know, these different things that people live through, they're processes. I think it's really helpful for us, just as before I really kick in today's sermon, just to encourage you, we're in a period of rebuilding. It's going to take time. Social connection doesn't come back. Church community doesn't come back in a step. How these things are built is that they're built habitually over time. So my encouragement to you is twofold. First of all, is if you're coming, you're trying to connect, so many people are doing that. Keep building those habits. Great things are built on habits. Red Church in its form that it's grown out of here literally began with a handful of people who met in my lounge room. And the pattern of that over years has been what God has used to build this. So keep building up that pattern. Yep, there's going to be times when you may get conjunctivitis, the flu, whatever, but get back into that pattern. Great things are built by patterns. The second thing I just love to encourage people is hearing everywhere the church has found this time a significant financial challenge. And so many churches experience this. Hearing churches losing 60, 70% of their giving. And a lot of that has been tapered because there were things like stimulus and so on, and governments you know, helping out in different community organizations and business organizations. But a lot of that has now stopped. And so there's the other pattern that churches are built upon. There's the social connection, the habit of doing that. But there's also the habit of tithing and giving. That's why I brought this like historical artifact. Um, <laughs> It's in the Red Museum. Um, the last time this thing was used, it has been cleaned by a professional team because uh, these suckers right here were just like germ transportation. We used to, we, if you don't know, we used to pass this through several hundred people on a Sunday. You know, it's like germ-centric. Uh, and uh, we used to hand this around every week. Last time we did it was, I think, what, March the 15th or something, 2020. But it's a good reminder that the habit of giving is what facilitates often God, what he's doing in the world. It's investment in the kingdom. We've been sort of doing the replacement of this with the video that you would have just seen. But I just want to encourage you, if you're new, perhaps if you've been for us for a while and you haven't committed to tithing and giving, I really do encourage you to make that investment in the kingdom. There is a square, a little uh, electronic whiz 
bang thing that you can do where the books are if you want to give that way or the information's uh, you saw it on the screen earlier or it's on our website. Let me pray to begin. God, thank you for what you've been teaching us in this series. Christ in us, Christ through us. We thank you that you're in us, that when you died on the cross, that we were able to come close to you, that you did not stay distant because of our sin. And we just pray, Father, work through us. Jesus, work through us. May what we've learned in this series actually become true in our lives. We ask and pray in your name. Amen. I'm going to begin with today's scripture, which is going to be up there, or you can look in your Bibles. Matthew 12, 33 to 35. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus speaking to a group of people says this. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Say that again. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things of the good, oh, sorry, of the evil stored up in him. I'm going to put that there. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But I began by saying that one of the things that I've been doing in the last little while is traveling after a period of not traveling. Now, if you have been at Red a little while, uh, you know, before the pandemic or you've been here for a while, people like to remind me of what they see as an incredibly prophetic sermon where I talked about the fact that I realized that often after flights, I would get sick. So I started opening the toilet doors on planes like this. And this began to grow in my life to the point where I would open a lot of doorways like this. Because in winter, I was just sick of getting sick. So a lot of people saw that and saw, wow, you were ahead of the curve with like hygiene and COVID protocols. And my response is, no, I'm just a germaphobe and don't want to get sick. Now, I was a germaphobe on planes before. I was sometimes that weird guy who nearly, just before the pandemic on a few trips, I was like getting out the wipes. I had wipes before anyone had wipes, like antiseptic ones. I'd wipe down the, uh, the I, I watched a video on YouTube, like how to go on long haul flights and not get sick. So I adopted those protocols early. I was an early adopter. And so I would wipe the, the, the seats and wipe the screen. I once wiped the screen and it stopped working. Um, just said, oh, can I move? And luckily I was able to move. But going on a plane again now in our COVID environment, in our flu environment, I went to the UK, I got COVID in the UK. And then you become just so much more aware of infection on a plane. And it makes the atmosphere a little bit more tense. I took my two boys, Billy and Hudson, to New Zealand. <coughs> and on one of the flights, there was just that moment where you had someone who was not following the protocols. This gentleman, we're on an Air New Zealand flight, flying internally in New Zealand. It was an hour-long flight. And the, the hostess was walking down the aisleway, and they're really nice and you know, very friendly on Air New Zealand. She's like, can everyone put their masks up, lift them up? If they're underneath your chin, lift them up. And you can just hear her say, sir, please lift it up. Thank you. And then they had to make another sweep. She comes along and it's the one guy behind her. Sir, can you lift it up, sir? Sir, lift it up. And you go, okay, he's not lifting it up. Then you knew things that got, things got a little bit more serious when 
They then sent for the senior hostess, steward, whatever is the correct term. And she's a bit older, a bit more command in her voice. And she comes down and she's not as friendly. She's a bit more serious. And she's like, sir, I'm going to have to remind you that New Zealand's laws is that you must wear a face mask. You know, you can be deplaned if you don't, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, oh, this is getting a bit tense. He's like, oh. Anyway, I presume he put his mask on. We take off. We're not thinking about this. And then halfway through the flight, I'm on the aisle. My two boys are center and, and window. And you just begin to hear this deep bass rumbling. Mucus just being forced up through the nasal passage of this man. I mean, this was like a rumbling sound that was coming from Hades. And everyone's aware. And then he just starts blowing his nose with levels of snot. I just did not know what possible for a human to produce. And you're like, oh, this is gross. And you're trying not to think about it. But it's not too bad at this point. But then the blowing of the nose begins to turn to coughing. And I'm not just talking coughing. I am talking barking, deep, infected, horrifying coughing that you can just almost feel in your hair that is happening behind you. Now, at this point, I thought, it's okay. He's wearing a mask. I think it was Billy who looked at me and was like, he's not wearing a mask, Dad. I'm like, no, he's taking it off. And then he's just coughing and coughing and coughing. And you're sitting there just going, I just don't want to get sick again. Like, I want to play. So I came up with a technique. It's like boys and the boys are aware of it. And I said, boys, there are the little air vents. You know, those little things. No one really touches them that often. Maybe if you're feeling a bit sick on a plane. But I come up with a theory that basically you can create a wall of air. And actually, if I turn them all on, sort of did it subtly. And you can turn them on quite powerfully. So I thought if I get all three and sort of bend them back, I can send the germs back towards him and create a protective wall. We didn't get sick. So I think I was successful. But what this showed me is that we're in a time where we're really aware of the power of infection. And humans are often very infectious. During what's called the summer of love, the hippie movement in 1968, from all over the world, all over America, hippies and people who were wanting to join the hippie movement went to the city of San Francisco to one intersection of two streets in San Francisco, Haight and Ashbury. This was the center of the hippie universe. It was this movement that was beginning. It was this entire social revolution of how people lived. And one of the things that they were doing was actually upending what they saw as the conventions of Western society. Now, there was a number of doctors who realized that a lot of people who'd moved into San Francisco, like some of them ended up homeless, others didn't have heaps of money or healthcare. So they created what was known as the free health clinic on Hayton Ashbury, providing free medical care for people who moved into this area. Now, they began to discover a series of illnesses and conditions which had not been seen for centuries in the United States. Wonderfully named conditions with names such as the following. The rot. Anyone ever had the rot? The scroff. The itch. Now, we've all been itchy, but this is actual condition which was simply known centuries ago as, oh, you know, uncle's got the itch. My personal favorite 
the grunge. I've heard it. I've never had it. Now, why were these century-old conditions appearing at this time in this particular place? Well, two things were happening. First of all, because the hippie movement was undoing conventions and questioning everything, one of the things that people started to do was convention, uh, question conventions and they began to question the convention of like, why do we wash? Why do we wash? Is washing simply this vain thing where we don't want to smell and, and you know, well, what if we just didn't wash? People throughout history haven't washed, so what if we did not wash? Now, the problem with this is washing is not just about not smelling. Washing is also dealing with a reality that humans face, that humans are great hosts. Now, you may be thinking of a dinner party, a party that you put on, but humans are great hosts, vehicles, carriers of all kinds of germs, bacteria, and parasites. And when we don't wash and practice hygiene, we actually then become really good hosts and many little creatures come along with us for the ride. So first of all, people deciding not to wash ensured that they became filled with all kinds of germs and parasites. The second thing was, people were also rethinking community, how you lived together. Not only were the bounds of hygiene being thrown out, but even it was the free love uh, revolution, the sexual revolution, and people living in communes and I'll just say this, it's a Sunday morning church, but there was a lot of stuff going on. And what you had was then two key elements. You had humans are great hosts, which means that we're highly infectious. And then secondly, humans are also social, which means that infection plus social connection equals contagion. The communes of San Francisco had become wonderful, super-spreading environments. Humans are infectious. We're also social. When you put those two things together, we're super contagious. This is why in 1377, in what was known as the time as the port of Ragusa, which today is Dubrovnik in modern-day Croatia, at the time it was actually controlled by Venice, the port. Uh, and in that port, they devised a, a system of dealing with a huge disaster that was happening in Europe, the bubonic plague. People were dying everywhere, huge amounts of people. I think it took maybe a, a third or a quarter of Europe's population. But they came up with something they called the quarantine. I think they initially called it the tritento, triten, I can't remember, the, the quarantine. And what they did was any ship coming into the port, they knew the people were great hosts, but if they broke the social connection, they would stop the contagion. So any ship coming into the port of Dubrovnik had to spend between 30 and 40 days, the sailors would just have to stay on the ship. They realized at that point, whatever creatures, whatever germs they were carrying of the bubonic plague, that actually would die off at that point. And this is how today we get the quarantine, lockdowns, which we just lived through. Break social connection and you stop infection. Now, what's interesting is humans are biologically infectious. Our social connections enable biological things to spread amongst us, but we're infectious in more ways than just the medical. Our health 
is affected by other people in more ways than just other people giving us germs. The psychologists James Fowler and Nicholas Christakis discovered that what other people do with their health actually has a profound effect upon you. At first, they discovered that if the eight people around you made positive health choices, if they decided to start exercising, eating better, if they lost weight, if the eight sort of or 10 closest people to you who you look to, who you spend most time with, if that happens to them, it will almost most likely happen to you. Now, conversely, if the closest people to you make bad health choices, all of a sudden, all just start, take up smoking or you know, start eating too much. If they all put on weight, you're probably going to also put on weight too. But then they discovered that this went even further. It wasn't just about the closest people to you. Uh, they write, they discovered their research, <clears throat> if your friend's friend's friend gained weight, you gained weight. We discovered if your friend's friend's friend stopped smoking, you probably would stop smoking. And we discovered that if your friend's friend's friend became happy, you became happy. So we were connected as human beings in ways to other people socially in ways that are quite surprising. Why is this? Well, humans all the time are communicating with other people in these subtle cues. 90% of communication is often visual or through body language. And so we as humans are in constant communication. We often think communication is just what I say to you. But humans are always communicating with each other. We're deeply socially intertwined in ways that we actually don't even realize. What we do affects others and others affects us far more than we realize. Now, this leads us to a key truth that's important for us to understand if we understand what it is to be human. There is no off switch on our communication. There is no neutral point where you're not communicating. We can always communicate. Now, I had a bit of an idea. I was going to do a little skit in my talk. I decided to not do it. But I was going to ask my brother to sit on a chair just there with no explanation. And my brief to him was like, Try not to communicate at all. Just sit on a chair up to this point of my sermon and just sit there. Don't communicate. Just sit there like this. Try not to communicate. Don't move your body. Don't do anything. And the point I was going to make was that you would probably not be listening to me. You'd be looking, why is he there? What's he doing? What's he communicating? Is he angry? Is he happy? You would be trying to find these little micro gestures that we give to try and get a read of what he was saying. We continually communicate even through silence. When we say nothing, when we give off nothing, that can be just as powerful as when we say something. The cousin who doesn't turn up to Christmas, their absence is a statement. It communicates there is no way for us as humans not to communicate something because we're socially interconnected. And what that means is what's going on inside of us, our inner worlds are always communicated outwards through these micro gestures, what we're doing, what we choose to do, what we choose not to do. We are always communicating what's inside of us. Humans are hosts. We're always communicating. 
There is always an effect. Our inner and outer worlds are always influencing each other and they're influencing the bigger social world of which we're all part of. In a room like this, if there is a tiny bit of anxiety in a small group of people, it can grow, it can spread. If I start using slightly more anxious body postures and seem a bit more confused and not sure where I'm actually going, and if I did my whole talk like this, it would begin to spread through the room. I could give the talk exactly the same verbatim with the same content, but if I'm <laughs> it communicates something. Humans are always communicating. What's going on inside is always coming out. So let's return to Jesus' words in Matthew 12, verse 33. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. The mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things of the evil stored up in him. Jesus is saying here, there's always fruit. What's fruit? Fruit is the outer effects of what is occurring within. Now, this idea that what is going on inside is always leaking outwards, that it affects others, runs into some pretty deep-held beliefs, I would posit myths, of our culture. Firstly, one of the great beliefs of our culture is that there is this hermetically sealed inner world of our lives which can't come out, and that you've got your inner world almost like in a safe, in a bank, and there's a big lock on it, and you can choose when to open and close that lock. Think of the language we use. That person really opened up to me. Get in touch with the creature that lives in here, your inner child. You'll be healthy and centered and come to some kind of healing when you can communicate your deepest, innermost feelings. I can share the innermost stuff with that person. There's all this language that we have that who we really are is this special space inside of here that's somewhere there and almost like we can just get that out. Then we'll be really centered and happy. That's our truest identity in here. So that's one thing which comes against this. It's saying, no, there's this clear, there's no leakage. There's a watertight lock on your inner and outer world. Now, secondly, another big belief in our culture comes around faith. One of the definitions of secularism, and Australia is often described as a secular culture, is that secularism says, yeah, you can have faith. <coughs> you can go to a mosque or a synagogue or a temple or a church, but keep it private. I've got a private faith. That somehow you can make sure the lock is locked and have your faith there and maybe we'll all come together on a Sunday morning and open the lock and open it up and do it here with each other, but make sure you close it before you go out to your job or the rest of the world. Or perhaps maybe when you pray by yourself in your bedroom, you can open that lock. Or perhaps you're in a little Bible study or prayer group, you can open that lock. And it's this weird belief that somehow it's possible to have a sort of kind of inner Tupperware container of the soul that you can put your faith in and it won't leak out everywhere. But this raises a question, how do you live a life 
And when the most deepest, most fundamental value and belief to have faith in Jesus is to believe that Jesus is above everything, that he's the center of everything. And how do you hold that in a way that then it does not affect outside of the inner Tupperware container, the inner safe of the world in any substantial way? It's not possible to quarantine our faith, yet that's what secularism attempts to do. Now, I wonder, one of the reasons why these myths maintain about our inner worlds in contrast to what psychologists and so on are telling us about the reality between our inner worlds leaking out is because if we were to admit that our inner worlds actually have an effect on the outer world, that what our character, who we are inside, our maturity, our emotional health, that if that affects others, it would mean we're responsible. And that's challenging. That's challenging to a culture of individualism which doesn't want to tell people that there's a definite moral code but then sort of does. And I think also there's there's an extra temptation at a moment like this after a global pandemic when so much has been chaotic, when it's so hard to predict There's a real temptation at this point to take things which I think have been really helpful, like practices and different things like that, but then to use them just to create, I can't control the outside world, so I'm just going to create a faith where I just do these particular things. It's not connected to a wider community of the church or others, but I'm just able to control my inner world, and I'm happy with that. Jesus' words show us a deeper, more true way. The mouth speaks of what is happening in the heart, that we all produce fruit. There is no clear delineation between our inner and outer worlds. Yes, there's private thoughts, there's private feelings, but they spill out and they're connected to others. I think when we then take Jesus' words as true, that it has some incredible implications for us that actually I think are really positive that we need to wrestle with and integrate into our lives. The first one is, this means that if humans are not just connected biologically, if we're connected socially, that what goes on in our inner world spills into our outer world, our actions, our gestures, what we do, our choices, and our values affect the world and social connections that we don't even know about, it spreads out into that social network, this means that your spiritual health is infectious. Your spiritual health is not just a private matter. It's not just something for the Tupperware container. Your spiritual health is infectious. Our health, biologically, our health socially, is connected in this interlocking web of relationships, and it is also true of our spiritual lives. You are either communicating spiritual health to those around you or spiritual unhealth. An absence is a form of unhealth. To have a faith which does not then spread out into the world is actually a form of unhealth. For when you push into renewal and when you're invited into God's way and God has his way with you, we step into God's plan to send his presence to the far corners of the earth to redeem human communities, to go out into human networks and to bring his love, his life, and his truth. This is why spiritual renewal 
in its truest form can never just be a private matter. This is why it read one of the red maxims, one of the red sayings is that personal renewal always leads to a corporate change. Every time I wanted to see what was the starting point of a great move of God, an awakening, a renewal, a revival, you almost always can trace it back to one person who in a time of great spiritual unhealth, actually through God encounters spiritual health and that becomes infectious. It catches. Does everyone jump on board? No, but it still begins to catch. Renewal is always infectious. The second thing is, if your spiritual health is infectious, the second point then is your spiritual health, which flows into emotional health, is one of the biggest gifts that you can ever give. You can do an outrageous gift. You can buy someone who means a lot to you, a car or a property or a Fabergé egg. But the greatest spiritual health is actually, sorry, the greatest gift you can give them is actually your spiritual health. You just think how much spiritual unhealth, spiritual immaturity, emotional immaturity, just think how much this affects the world. What would the world look like if the leaders in our world were far more spiritually healthy, far more emotionally healthy, if they surrendered their power and pretense before the throne of God. How different would the word look? You think about those times when you've been in a workplace, when you've been in a family, when you've been in a friendship groups, and there's just the toxicity in the air and it's just horrible, and there's people who are pushing out their insecurity, their possessiveness, their, their pointedness, one bad egg can spoil an entire workplace, an entire family, an entire street. And we always think about that in the negative. Oh, if just Fred or Mary would just leave this workplace and just leave us alone, then we're going to get back to some basic normal. But what we don't think is the converse of that, that just as negativity and toxicity can spread, what this is telling us is that spiritual health spreads when you give your life to God, it is a gift to others. It's not just the gift that is, can be held by one person. It spreads. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And you do this. Your life becomes a gift. Not through just little improvements. Not just through a couple of inches. You can't become a few percentage points healthy. You know, you know, someone doesn't say, how are you going? Well, I'm 15% healthy. You're either healthy or you're not healthy. And so this is true of renewal. When we choose to be a gift for God, when we choose that, we do that by giving the whole of our lives. Renewal is only possible when we give the whole of our lives. When we have little Tupperware containers of parts of our lives that we don't want to give God, that stops the possibility of renewal going into all of our lives. And I can tell you now, the enemy will use those bits that we don't give to God to make sure unhealth and dysfunction spiritually, emotionally, psychologically he will continue in your life. But when we give all of our lives to him, you make your life a gift. 
And what happens then is you then begin to live in what is overflow. You're not doing good religious things because you feel like you should, or you're doing them in your own strength. You're not doing mission or service or whatever through this sense of duty. You're doing it through an overflow because the love of God is moving through you and you're a channel, you're a vessel. Now, what's also really interesting is what medical science tells us is that the health of someone anywhere on earth today can affect you. We've learned in the last two and a half years, just think about this. Like when you, when you see the effect economically in the world of the pandemic, when you see the death toll, we're, we're in London and across from Parliament on the other side of the Thames, there is this wall, which is the COVID memorial wall. And it's higher than me and it's white and for every person who has lost a life, a loved one has painted this small heart, probably about the size of a 50-cent piece. And you begin at the wall and you see these names and you just keep walking and it goes on and on and on and there are tens of thousands of names. It's an incredibly moving place. All of that is the result of one person somewhere at first got that infection, that that. COVID starts somewhere and goes through these human systems. What happens to someone in Wuhan then can affect the whole world. So health can affect us biologically across incredible, vast amounts of space, land, distances. But what we also know about health is that health is also transmitted genetically. Genetically. Some of us will deal with health issues that are genetic. And that means that there are people going backwards that actually we've never met, that our ancestors and their health imprint has gone forward. So actually health is not just through distance in space, it's also through time. Really bizarre, time. So going back in time actually affects us, but also it goes forward. Genetic imprints go backwards and forwards. Now this is also true spiritually. There are people in this room who have been prayed for by people you never met. There are spiritual decisions why perhaps you grew up in a Christian family or perhaps someone led you to the Lord who's not a Christian. And if you went back and did the genial, if you did contact tracing backwards, you would find that somewhere, maybe in the 19th century, maybe 500 years ago, maybe in another country, an auntie, a grandparent, someone in a church up the back who maybe never knew your name was praying, God, in this church, raise a next generation of faith. Someone who made a decision, someone who gave something. We have a spiritual history. This church originally started, as I mentioned, in my lounge room. We were part of a bigger church that was in South Melbourne. Unfortunately, that church didn't survive, but we started out of that. But you trace the history back. You know, that church in South Melbourne was actually the amalgam of different churches in that area. Port Melbourne, Middle Park. And you read the history and you can read, uh, someone wrote a history of this church. There was money that was given in the 19th century. There was decisions of people turning up to pray 150 years ago, which we get to benefit from today. Some of you read books from Christians who have passed, who no longer are on this earth. And we are reaping the benefits of their investment in the kingdom, the health that they decided, people who said yes at a certain time. 
You think about Billy Graham, there's one point where I think it was like one in 10 Australians or something went and heard Billy Graham speak when he was the biggest, uh, uh, basically so many of the records for crowds in Australian stadiums were actually held by Billy Graham. I discovered that as I talked to lots of leaders who are the heads of denominations, heads of organizations, so many of them, that journey of faith began when like 16, 17, 18, and what was it, 1956, when Billy Graham came to Australia. He decided if he'd not come, the spiritual genetic history of Australia's church would be completely different. Now we can look back, but also what that says is let's look forward. There are things of your saying yes to now, even things that are wrong to say no to, which are going to have spiritual effects on possibly biological children, but also spiritual children. The decisions we make now, I talked about at the beginning of just turning up, rebuilding that social capital, those connections at church at a time like this, speaking to someone next to you when it feels awkward. These are the social connections which seem small and inconsequential now, but actually in two or three generations when they write the history of the church in Melbourne at this time, I think will have far bigger implications than we realize. You saying yes is not just a yes for you to God. It's a yes that goes forward in time. Your spiritual health is a gift. It's a, health, it's a gift in distance. It's a gift in time. Lastly, how do we do this? Well, I talked about the fact that what the free medical clinic at Haight-Ashbury discovered was that Humans are great hosts, that when we don't wash, that actually we then start to carry parasites and critters and little insects and bugs and germs and all of these things. But that's just a secondary thing. Humans are created to be hosts. What's a host? A host is when you actually host someone, you provide, you create an environment for them. If you're a great host, if you've got a gift of hospitality, you remember all these different things. You've got the lighting right, the music right, the food right. You've thought about it. People come into that environment. You create an environment which is warm and welcoming where you actually invited someone into your home. And when you are in the presence of people who are incredibly gifted in hospitality, you just know it. You feel this sense of, of belonging because that person's invited into that intimate space of the home. Humans were created by God to be hosts of his presence. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? I just want to pause for one second. What does our culture tell us about our bodies? Your body is your brand. Your body is what you put out to the world. That's one. Your body is your playground, source of your meaning, your enjoyment. This is saying, no, there's a different way of thinking about being a human. The primary reason you are created is that your body is a place to host the presence of God, who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. You're a walking temple. And just think about this. If humans are infectious, if we're socially infectious, if what we do, regardless of whether it's healthy or unhealthy, goes through time and space, space and time, 
When we then bring the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, what we are doing is we are bringing the presence of God and it's multiplying through space and it's multiplying through time. That's actually God's mission. Go forth and multiply, stewarding creation to the ends of the earth, God's glory hovering over the world as we live our lives as hosts and it's infectious. A renewal or revival, yes, there's moments where you read about when the Holy Spirit falls on a particular worship. I think about the Welsh revival where 11 or 12 young adults met in a chapel in Wales. The Holy Spirit falls on them and they have this incredible moment. It echoes out and the services are filled with the presence of God in incredible ways. But our true awakening and revival is when it goes beyond that and those people take with them the presence of God into their workplaces, into their relationships. And you see the fabric of a society changed because people are hosting the presence of God. The more we host the spirit presence, the more we host the Holy Spirit, the more healthy we are. You're not your own. The less of you, the more of God, we're just a channel. Have you ever been with someone and you come away feeling that you've just sat in the presence of the Holy Spirit because that person is not pushing their agenda. They're just simply, you see God living in them. When we do that, we bring more health. And when we bring that, we bring more health, we bring more of the Holy Spirit into the world. And just lastly, I think this verse is a really helpful way to help us understand how this works and everything we've been going through in the last couple of years. And maybe, I think, really through the whole of our lives. Paul writes in chapter 5 of Romans, verses 3 and 4, I think Trudy may be preaching on this next week. He says this, We glory. You've got to hear the word glory there. Glory is always a word that's linked to the Holy Spirit. The glory of God hovers over the world in the beginning of Genesis. The glory is hovering of the Spirit. Where is the glory hovering over? Our sufferings. Not over our awesome experiences. Our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings. The Holy Spirit hovers over us in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance is not a trait that people want today. People don't want perseverance. We want awesome stuff. But verse 4 goes on to say, perseverance, sorry, let me start again. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope. Now, this is absolutely key. The Spirit is hovering over your life. The Spirit is inviting you to health. The Spirit is knocking, saying, I want to come in. The Spirit does not see a differentiation between your life, your inner and your outer world. The Spirit understands that you were created by God to host his presence. Now, that is not you then going, sitting on a mountain, never having any problems of the world touch you. No, that Spirit is hovering over your suffering, your difficulty, your disappointments, your isolation, your challenges. All those moments, the Spirit is hovering over, wanting to be invited in. When we invited in, we learn perseverance. Why is perseverance? Perseverance is pushing on with the Spirit at moments when you want to give up. Now, this is really pertinent and relevant at this moment. Because there's people who you may have in your mind who... Since the pandemic's not continuing to work with God, who's jangered their faith apart, 
And in moments like that, when no longer is any way the culture going to look at you with any positivity because you're a Christian, when perhaps you've seen people walk away, when you actually may even see exit ramps yourself, but you push on with perseverance, even in the midst of disappointments and frustrations and hurt, and you push on, the Holy Spirit is inside of you as a host building something. There's a factory inside of you being built. And what's being built? Character. What is character? Character is spiritual health. Character is spiritual maturity. Character is God having his way inside of us because we're putting everything before him. And this last bit is so key. You watch the news at the moment, it is Doomerville. You look at the news at the moment, the economy is going to fail. There's going to be global famine. There's new diseases, monkeypox, cholera has been discovered in the Wuhan wet market. What next? We have a war in Europe. Talk of a war in the Pacific. Life doesn't look like it's going back to 2019. I just read a book by one of the world's leading global strategists who advises the American military and all these big companies. His message of the book was 2019 was probably the height of human standards of living and it's going to go down from there. Woo! Doom hopelessness. But what does this verse say? Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character produces hope. Hope is not going to come from politicians doing the right things. Hope's not going to become because the material conditions of the world change all of a sudden and everything's awesome again. Hope actually comes when people give themselves over to spiritual health and it's infectious. When you see someone whose life has been transformed by the Holy Spirit, that provides hope. That's the hope we need at this moment. Don't put your hope in anything else, but the potential of God to renew you and renew the world. And in this moment, I can tell you that there are people who are closer to God, have pushed into God. And that story that Paul tells in that verse is the story of people in this room. One thing I noticed everywhere I went in the world is I had the person come up to me at the end of my talk saying, I think I'm the last one left of my friends who's pushing in, but God is doing something in me. I remember being in one city and a guy who'd flown down because he'd missed the first talk came down and he'd heard some of the messages from here, I think, and some of the stuff that we've been talking about. God at this moment is building a remnant in the world And he just came up and he was literally just weeping. He couldn't even speak. And I said to him, you don't have to speak. I know. I'm hearing this again and again from people all over the place. At this moment, the whole cultural Christian thing is being swept out the door. And God is saying, who wants to press in? Who wants to persevere? Who wants to have character built inside of them? And when you see that, that is hope. That is hope. At some point... Who knows when, September, October, maybe the illnesses will drop down. At some point, COVID will be managed. At some point, we're going to get back into a pattern. And at that point, let's not snap back to 2019 of just going through the motions. I think the church that God is building and birthing at that time has to be a church where this has happened to the people of God and our lives are lives of character And that character produces hope in the world. Your life, your decisions, what you do, what you do not do is actually an infectious thing that will spread through the different networks of humanity. And that's the invitation at this moment. Let's stand.
God, we recognize this is a moment. We recognize there's been a shaking in the world of everything in which we could put our hope in. We recognize that our world just tells us the answer is actually found within, that we just have to discover ourselves, find our inner child, get in touch with our inner feelings. But we realize, Father, that we don't need those things. We actually need you in our inner world. Father, we need your health. We need your healing. We need spiritual maturity. We need character. The world needs character. The world needs hope. So God, at this moment of invitation, we want to say yes to you. God, I just want to praise you and thank you for the changes that you've made in people's lives in this room. I thank you, Father, for the people turning up after all of the dislocation and disruption of the last two years. These people are here. They've sung your praises. They've listened to your word. But God, we want more of you. So we just pray at this moment for spiritual health. We pray for an outpouring of your spiritual maturity to flow into us. We need that, God. God, what do we need to leave behind in the last season? May we leave that behind. What are the idols, false hopes, myths that have been clinging on to the things of the world, the temptations of the devil? We reject them in Jesus' name. And we just want more of you. So we lay our lives down before you. God, at this moment, we just pray that you continue to build a remnant in the world of people who have eyes only for you. And God, we know all the different ways. We can talk endlessly about the ways that the church has stuffed things up. But Father, our hope is in the future of a people of God who look to you, who bring healing and wholeness and health to all the connections. We pray that we may be hosts of your spirit. So just now, we just ask in faith for a moment as we worship your spirit, we'll come and minister to every heart here, each with its individual needs and issues and stuff. But we know at this moment your spirit hovers, it groans, it glories above our sufferings. May we give them to you now and may that produce perseverance and that perseverance produce character and out of that character. So come Holy Spirit, move amongst us, we ask. 